Welcome to the Open Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, I'm in New York today, and so is Heidi, but we're in different locations. And we have got a great guest today, and we met her at Parkland after the school shootings down there, didn't we, Heidi? Absolutely, yes. Our guest today, Dr. April Natural, is a, a complete, a leading expert in the world, Mom. On, and she's a traumatic stress specialist. And we met her when we were helping uh, the faculty and staff, et cetera, of the, after the Parkland school shootings. We met her at an event that was being hosted in, in Florida. Yeah, we were kind of on a panel with April, but she really wowed us because April has been everywhere, done everything, been in the disaster, on the disaster front. I mean, she is a real pioneer. So we're so privileged to have you on the show today. She is such a big part of where I live, New York City, and helping our city heal. She directed, Mom, the New York's mental health response teams after September 11th, which is just phenomenal. And she's responded to disasters and mass violence across the United States and in nine countries. Uh, she currently works with the Las Vegas shootings and people that were impacted by that. And she trains humanitarian aid workers all over the world. And we're so honored to have her here today. Hi, April. Welcome. Hi, it's certainly a privilege for me to be working with you, and thank you for such a warm welcome. Well, it's great to have you on. Heidi and I were wondering, how did you get into the field? Oh, that's a, an interesting question. I get asked a lot, for, uh, Gloria. It, it seemed to be a, a confluence of circumstances. I had been trained very early on in my career in critical incident stress debriefing with some FBI agents in New Jersey where I was living, working at a hospital at the time. 9-11 uh, happened and my old boss from New York State Office of Mental Health knew that I was out consulting at the time and she said, I don't know what you're doing, but you're a program person, you're a crisis person, and we really need you to run this program for the state. And I got pulled in uh, for three years on Project Liberty, the New York 9-11 response. And from there, there was a lot of funding that came into the states to do preparedness work. Right. So the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration asked me to become part of a large team that did training nationally. And then, of course, when the states have an event, which happens about 100 times a year in the U.S. alone, uh, they call out individual trainers and consultant managers. And so I got pulled into doing the work. And it's really a sacred space, Gloria. You know, people are welcome, they're open, they're receptive, uh, and we get to help. There's not a whole lot better than that. Uh, tell us, how, how do you help people, individuals, cope after trauma? What do you train people to do? Well, you know, one of the things that we always say is that mm, about 80% of people after an incident of, of mass violence or a human-caused purposeful intent incident, about 80% of people will get better on their own with good social supports uh, and with positive coping skills. So we've got that group that we try and connect with others so that they get good social supports and they know some basic coping skills, breathing, stretching, walking, you know, mindfulness, things that can really help. Um, but then, of course, we're worried about the 20% who do have a risk of becoming April, April, this is important. You're saying 80% of all people that have been involved in a trauma will recover on their own with good social support. That's what the research tells us. That's, that's about the base of what we've seen in the past 20 to 30 years. Um, Heidi, it's a really uh, important point because I know that there is increasing awareness around post-traumatic stress disorder. And so you hear people say, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, but 
the truth is that most people won't get it and it is a horrific debilitating horrible illness that stops people from working from having relationships from having joy in their life anymore so we try to educate people so back to your question Gloria about what's one of the main things we do is provide education Mm -hmm. that people will have some pretty serious distress responses after a disaster after a traumatic event but that with you know in a fairly reasonable period of time those distress symptoms will start to dissipate especially okay. if they have good social supports that's such a good point isn't it Heidi it is and the, and the importance of good social supports and yeah. having people around them because we have a lot of listeners out there and viewers today that have had traumatic losses you know of mm-hmm. children and of siblings and etc and uh, so to know that they need to get their support people around them and their support, either through peer-to-peer support or friends or family or wh- wherever they're going to get it, it sounds like. That's right, Heidi, exactly. And, and folks like yourself and your mom who have these kinds of programs that give people information. You know, information is powerful. It yeah. decreases anxiety. So for you to be able to offer to people this information and say, you know what, you're not crazy. Of course, you're going to have some very distressing symptoms. And of course, you're going to grieve after a horrific loss. And yeah. that's human and normal and common and accepted and we have to allow ourselves to have it. You know, we don't do a good job of allowing people to grieve in this country. Mm-hmm. I ask every group that I've ever met how many days they get off from work if they have the death of someone in their immediate family. The most I've ever heard is three days. Right. Yeah, most people say two days, you know. It's unbelievable. And you're then expected to go back to work like nothing happened and everything's okay. And you hear insensitive people say, oh, it's been six months, go on with your life or get over it. And the truth of the matter is we, we don't forget and we shouldn't. We well, shouldn't. I was going to ask you that. And my mom and I were talking about it before the show. So for people that can't forget the trauma, the way the person died, and they're stuck mm-hmm. in that trauma narrative, what would you say to them as far as getting them to move beyond that that thought in their head that keeps going um, over and over? Well, well, you actually hit on the exact words, Heidi. It's the thoughts in their head. And okay. we know that changing the narrative is what can be so healing for people who do get stuck in what we call maybe a complicated grief situation. Right. And the, the national expert on, on complicated grief, Catherine Shear, will tell you that yeah. she actually considers anything that happens in the first six months to a year pretty natural, even if it looks psychotic or crazy. And, and she would not take on people uh, in those early days because no matter what happens, she said, that's considered grief. That's a, that's the human condition. It's grieving, but and when we know how to do it, hmm? say again. And we know how to do it. Uh, we know how to grieve. We know yes. that you cry. We know mm. that you feel sad. I mean, you know, uh, we have suffered losses all our lives. When you're a little kid, you uh, maybe don't get vanilla ice cream when you want chocolate. That's a small loss. We've got to trust that as we grow up, we have disappointments, and those disappointments are connected with loss hang in you know how to do it you're not going to that's right yes and how do we integrate these the memories of these folks and how do we honor the memories we'll remember these people through to our deaths we will take that with us we encourage people to talk about their loved ones who they lost to take out pictures to show people for the rest of their life 
if that's what they want to do, if that's what they're inclined to do. Because I, I think that's it's more important. Normal. You said the word narrative, and I noticed mm -hmm. that all the press is using it, and I'm a family therapist, and we started using that about 30 years ago. I um, want to tell everybody a narrative's a story. Right. Okay. Thank <laughs> it's you. It's a story that you tell about your life, mm -hmm. and it's actually based on pictures that you have in your uh, head. Then you make up a story that fits into your pictures. So you got to, you know, work on maybe changing those pictures a little bit. But, you know, um, I was involved in the San Francisco earthquake years ago, and I noticed the first thing I needed to do was drink and eat. Uh, right, the basics. Water. Right. Is that most basic? Yes. People won't even talk about how they're feeling until those basics are met, until they feel safe until they be able to sit down and, and start to breathe and de-stress, have something to drink. Water is a great entree to doing this kind of work, actually. Bring somebody some water and let them start to feel human again. It sounds like if people are stuck in their trauma, the way that their child died or the way that somebody died that they know, if they're stuck in that narrative, if they're stuck in that trauma, if they're stuck in that movie in their heads, it sounds like if they're within the first six to 12 months, this is normal, right? And they'll eventually work through it and it'll lessen over time. People who get stuck, people who can't do the things they normally need to do every day, they can't get up off the couch and take care of themselves or their children, they don't get up and go to work, or they fail at work, they fail at relationships, that's complicated grief. Crying and being sad and looking at pictures and telling the story of your loved one over and over, that's normal grief. That's not a disturbance, that's not a mental illness. And so it's really important that people understand, and you made that point, Heidi, it's absolutely common and normal. Of course, you're not going to forget the, the people that you loved. You're never going to forget them. And I, I think we should encourage people to bring their pictures, to tell their story. And when, when to answer your question from earlier, when I said about changing the narrative is when some of those symptoms, when the crying or the inability to get up out of bed, when those things start to bother someone, then they need to look at how do I change the story I'm telling myself. For example, oh, my, my child died a terrible death. It's, okay, my child died. I had no control over that. How do I honor the memory of their life? How do I remember those things that they brought to me and what I was able to bring to them? And really look at what was that life like rather than focusing on the death. So that's a small example of what I mean by changing the narrative or the story as your mom now said. Now you work in many different countries. Do you see anything different about the uh, trauma and grief in other countries? Actually, no. I'm always afraid when I go to a new country and I try to study the culture, but you know how hard that is. Even here in, in the United States where we see and experience a mix of cultures all the time, to know all the little innuendos and the rituals and the practices that a particular culture, you know, brings to their family, to their neighborhood, you know, to their business, it's almost impossible to know. So it, it always makes me very nervous. Um, but every single place I've been, whether it's working in a, a hut in Uganda, in Africa, or whether it's working in a, in a corporation office after a, a, an attack in Brussels, human responses are the same. The human emotions are the same. How they express them culturally may differ, but the actual human responses themselves are the same globally.
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So April, I worked with the FDNY for 10 years with a research study that we did out of Columbia University. I remember, and yes. With Grace Chris, Dr. Grace Chris, and we yeah. looked at genetic loss over time. And one thing that I heard the firefighter family say, because they'd all lost someone in the trade center, is we no longer, they had a lot of anxiety because they said, we no longer see the world as a safe and predictable place. Yeah. And so what, how would you work with someone like that? What would your response be to someone that had this anxiety and, and believed that at this time? Yeah, well, that, that's certainly, uh, it, saying that over and over to yourself is going to make you feel like the world is no longer a safe place. And I think we need to recognize that. And, and let me say, too, to be in an organization that was, is so family-oriented, like the FDNY still is, yeah. and to feel like you lost you know, over 300 of your brothers, um, that's an extraordinary trauma. That's uh, it, it is unusual. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, I know you found that from your study with, with Dr. Chris, that they suffered in ways they went to a funeral every day for 365 days. So you expect there to be a longer period of time, but I would ask them to make choices about how they want to perceive the world. Uh, I think I that's, that's the issue, Heidi, because trauma is about perception, right? Yeah. I could be in an incident and see a fire and be so frightened and think I'm gonna die that I would have a traumatic response. But maybe as a firefighter, I've seen so many fires, they don't frighten me and I knew there's no people in there. So I see that fire and I'm not traumatized at all. Right. So it is about perception. You know, I, I like what you're saying right now. And I think that people that are watching this should think about this. How much exposure do you have had to your yes. loss? Because I think, and I'd never thought of it in those terms, but I know people that are going through trials and court and lawsuits oh, are yes. having a huge amount of exposure to loss all the time. And sometimes it's delayed and, you know, court That's cases right. can take years. So look, I like that, Heidi. That's a whole new concept for me of thinking about how much exposure, because I think when we explain this to people so that they can understand it, so they stop and say, well, I've had this much exposure and I'm going to have a big exposure when I have to go to court or whatever, and I'm going to need support. You're right on target, Gloria. I like so many things that you just said, and I hope your listeners can hear that. When we know that we're going to be exposed and have continuous exposure is, is the best thing to do is plan and reach out and not be alone. Even if you don't want to talk to someone else or, or you know, be entertained, just being in the presence of someone else. But having the support of people who understand and accept how you feel is the best way. And plan that ahead of time. Plan not to be alone. We are concerned about people who are isolated as they go through these triggers, these reminders, or these new exposures. And you're right, we, our colleagues at the Office for Victims of Crime often, uh, the, and along with the FBI, will ask mental health and crisis counselors to be at a deposition training and, and exercises and to prepare people and let them know that they're going to be exposed to some traumatic material. Some of it is gruesome. Uh, some, sometimes it's images. And these things can bring people right back to where they were at the original time of the event. Um, and so they have these distress symptoms all over again. So, so you hit on some very important points there. And I, I hope your listeners were able to pick up on your recommendations.
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're an amazing person and we appreciate so much all the work you're doing. It's just a pleasure to know you. How do people get in touch with you? And what if they, you are probably more professionally if they wanted to have you come and speak to their group or work with their group or how, how do people get in touch with you? Sure, I have a website. It's very simply my, my name, April Natural. It's April, like the month and natural. It's natural with an E on the end, dot com. Uh, and there's a, a contact me box and it shares information about who I am. And it's also got lots of resources if you're just looking for information. So I'm, I'm happy for people to ask me directly for some resources or to seek them on the website or if they want something more to let me know what their needs are. And, and it, it's so wonderful to have resources like yours and your agency to be able to refer people to. We certainly rely on that and appreciate all the work that you and Heidi are doing, Gloria. Oh, thank you so much. And again, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Have a thank wonderful you, day. April, you are doing so much around the world. I am just honored to have you on today. You are doing so much to help the world heal, and we're learning so much from you about how to help after trauma. So thanks a lot, and thank you for being on today. I know you're very busy. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thanks, everybody, for watching this show today. And we hope you'll tell your friends and family about it because it's important information talking about disaster and violence and how do you cope. So uh, Heidi and I always want to remind you, and I'm sure April does too, that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless.